0: Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk To Anyone, the podcast where we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex McLaren. And I'm Tom Zielinski. Uh, This week we
1: wanted to talk about being on camera. Something which happened very occasionally with most people. If you were running a business or you were some sort of subject matter expert, every so often, once or twice a year maybe, you might get called up and someone would say, can you appear on Newsnight? We're making a documentary about your specialist area. Can we send a camera crew around? But now, of course, being on camera is part of the way we just do business all of the time.
0: Yeah, and it's been a sudden shock. We've all been thrown into this cold water all at once, regardless of how old we were. Uh, I mean, some of us have got experience being on camera professionally as performers. Um, Do you remember the first time, given that we're, Tom and I (laughs) basically in our 40s. and uh, So when was the first
1: time you saw yourself uh, as a moving image? Um, Well, very early on, uh, when I was very little, like six or seven, my uncle had a Super 8 movie camera, right. and I thought this was incredibly exciting. And so, having seen some of his home movies, I then petitioned <laughs> my parents to do likewise. Okay. And so, there is uh, eight millimeter movie footage of me, yeah, uh, from the age of about eight. And have you seen them recently? I've certainly seen uh, the footage of me aged about 11 or 12. Well, get, get the eight-year-old. One
0: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the reason I raise it is that I grew up in a house with no TV and therefore mm. no video player. So when VHS cameras and tapes came in in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't kind of it was something really featured. I, I would see the school play videoed. Right. Um, yes. Occasionally that would get circulated, so I'd see footage of this. Who's that weird person over in the distance? I guess that's the thing which is uh, – the reason I'm asking is that when you see – footage of yourself you're seeing something very, very strange, and it can make you incredibly self-conscious. Uh, all of you will know the weird feeling you have when you have to listen to your own voice when you record your answer phone message. You have to listen to it back to check that it's okay, um, and you hear your voice, and it can often freak you out because you're not familiar with that sound. But the awful truth is that everybody else is very familiar with it. Actually. You know, <laughs> <Yes>. when <laughs> uh, when, we, when Tom sees himself on camera and goes, "Oh my God, look at him," everyone else goes, "Yeah, it's just Tom." Yeah. Um, and uh, and there's something very kind of vulnerable about that about being the only person not in on the joke to a degree and that can make appearing on camera really complicated Um, of course if you're going to be a spokesperson making a film which is then going to be uh, broadcast there is also the added challenge that you have to do this well and you uh, you have a tremendous responsibility it's not just simply capturing you um the the training I've done with this, when I've been working with people, has been really interesting. In that uh, we, I think of it like a storyteller, and we want to see the effect of what's being talked about on the individual person. We could there's a relationship between the content and the person speaking. I was working with some chefs who were looking to move into television, and uh, it's, it's all very well for them to be brilliant at their chefy work and slicing a cucumber in two seconds flat on camera, but what really matters is when they taste what they've cooked. It looks to the viewer like they're really enjoying their lunch. Mm. Um, And and that's really important that that message gets to be sent down the camera. The, uh, The business of being changed by what is happening is incredibly important in any storytelling camera work. Um, and it needs to be subtle and it needs to be truthful, but it does need to happen. Um, but I think that's also true when you are uh, appearing in on camera as yourself. You need to be flexible, you need to be open, you need to uh, inhabit different emotional states as you're taking people through some kind of, uh, of, of journey, some kind of narrative on camera.
1: And I think it's a very different situation if you're being interviewed. So someone says, we're making a documentary. Can you talk about this? And they'll shoot hours of footage and pick a couple of bits here and there. But I think the hardest thing for someone who doesn't have any kind of acting training to do is to present, Ooh. is to be, you know, like the, the hero of the corporate video saying, this is the factory floor or, or welcome to my world. And you will see sometimes if you scroll through this kind of material, people who just seem to have forgotten how to human. <laughs> They just don't take up space in a way which seems right. When Mm. they move, Mm. they look as if they're being marionetted by some incompetent puppeteer. And it's just the everything you're talking about, collapsing in on them, all of this Mm. self-consciousness, second-guessing. How is it that someone sits on a chair like this, like this, like Mm. this, like this, and suddenly everything feels wrong? And that awkwardness can just blast through the screen. Then you watch someone who's been doing it for twenty years, and they make it look absolutely effortless.
0: And that is, I think, the, the key thing. Um, the we always. Say, I mean, even with our first improvisation classes, that the, the, the key to getting good at something is to have lots and lots of goes. Mm. Um, and that's why people who've been doing it for so long m- make it seem easier because they, they've found, they've discovered the ways to screw up and they've paid attention and they've rejected them and, uh, and opted for more successful strategies and become more relaxed as a consequence. I do think that if you are new to appearing on camera, um the the simulation of a relationship between a speaker and a viewer watching this at home is incredibly difficult to do first time. You may find someone with an aptitude to it, in which case grab that person, grapple them to you with hoops of steel, and <laughs> make them go on camera. Um, but the uh, but I do think that that interview element uh, is 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 so much easier because what it does is it provides somebody with off screen stimulus to bring about those realistic, meaningful changes and to, to keep that interaction going. I think that this is important for
1: any kind of uh, sort of spontaneous. interactive spokesperson work. um. And and very often, but I'm thinking particularly here of kind of talking head style documentaries, Mm. whether they're shot so that the interview subject is looking off to the side, Mm. or whether, as is sometimes the case, they're shot as if the interview subject is looking down the barrel of the lens. Mm. Very often, the interviewer is not featured at all Mm. and very occasionally what you'll see in a documentary which is otherwise just talking heads responding to questions which we haven't heard Mm. is just in order to make sense of something there will be this question that kind of floats in off mic yes and in that moment you go oh all those people were answering questions yes they weren't just expounding and pontificating and holding forth
0: yeah, the um, that that, uh, that element of kind of, of looking straight down the lens, I think, is also very tricky. Of course, there's the technology involved in a professional situation.
1: Often there is a, a slanted screen with a reflection of text that people are trying to read, or sometimes you can actually set it up so that, as the interview subject, you're looking at a piece of glass through which you can see the interviewer. The face of the interviewer, yeah. And then what's actually happening is what's being recorded is you just looking down the the, the lens of the camera. Uh, and that's magic for the camera, because what the camera
0: captures is your actual response to an actual other human. And the, the, the tiny little changes that happen when two people are talking to each other are uh, intricate and they are incredibly complex. I've been saying to people recently in the shift back into face-to-face meetings and face-to-face work that the technology of my body and this person's body and the other person's body sitting in a room is just unbelievably uh, well-developed over millions of years. <laughs> yeah. um, and really sophisticated. It is so sophisticated and, and, and not, it, it, I, I think, in any rush to be superseded
1: by robots, computers and other kind of platforms. This is the thing I find so fascinating. All of these video phone technologies have been around forever. Mm. Skype, yeah and Zoom, though, no one had heard of it, yeah. and Apple FaceTime, mm-hmm. and all of these things had existed for years. A decade. Yeah. A decade or yeah. so, and yeah. they had never really been used. Very FaceTime helpful. a little bit for mm. like uh, showing elderly grandparents pictures of babies. <laughs> uh, but other than that, no, not yeah. really. A few big tech companies, I remember when I was working for a big tech company in San Francisco, they had mm. conference rooms where one wall essentially was yes. a big screen. Yes. And so there'd be five people around a conference table in real life and one person on the screen occupying that sixth seat. Yes,
0: we would occasionally have meetings with people in you know, Europe or San Francisco. And uh, and although the tech was probably pretty good, it was so ill understood about what the point of it was. So you'd end up with basically people sitting in the distance, far, far away from the camera with a big white wall behind them. They'd just be a kind of a row of little silhouetted sort of Lego men. Yes. Um,
1: and uh, they might as well not have been on camera at all. So most of the time, we tended to meet people face-to-face or talk to them on the phone. And everybody knew how those two things worked. And everybody was happy with one or other of those. And then suddenly, we couldn't leave our homes. And we discovered... This was world of video conference. We discovered two things. First, that Skype for business was not long for this world. <laughs> and
0: secondly, that uh, everybody could download uh, these apps. And most laptops had a
1: camera in yeah. them at the top, which was a huge boon. It wasn't simply our mobile phones that allowed us to do it. So we've sort of got used to this now. Now plenty of conversations which pre-pandemic would have been face-to-face or on the phone have now become Zoom or Teams or Skype calls or whatever. Mm. And we've kind of got used to all of the drawbacks. We've got used to the fact that we don't get eye contact with anyone anymore. We've got used to the fact that when people talk over each other, sometimes the software will decide yeah. whose voice is heard and who is silenced. Uh, and we've just kind of got... But I, I can't help thinking that the technology is going to have to take another jump forward at some point and try to give us back some of the things we've lost because clearly we aren't going to go back to that world of either having audio only phone calls or face-to-face meetings.
0: Uh, I remember a client of ours um, about six or seven years ago and they had this enormous video conferencing suite, which was basically a boardroom table with screens all the way around, like 360. So it was trying to ape uh, as, uh, as effectively as possible the idea of a group of people sitting around in a circle. Um, and, and that was really really interesting because when we we all now just do it on our screens at either at home or on our laptops, when you have a kind of a collection of faces laid out in front of you, and that's very different from the big movements I have to make round a table in order to make eye contact with the person on my left, the person on my right, the person over there, um, and that uh, uh, so so that technology. Ch- was i guess hugely invested in and has now been totally ditched so what of this is going to survive I and mean, i'm always i mean you say that we've got used to the lack of eye contact i think we've we become habituated to it mm. but um but I, I still think it's actually causing quite a lot of problems it doesn't give you that feeling of i'm getting to know this person because so much of that feeling of being seen comes from them literally looking into my eyes so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: So one of the things I end up doing, which I assume is uh, something that you'd endorse, is just turn the volume up a little bit on how reactive and expressive I am. Absolutely. Uh, I can't get that genuine connection, but what I can do is just a, a tiny little bit of exaggeration. So if uh, somebody makes a joke, just be a bit more responsive, a bit more animated than I would be if we were in real life.
0: Yeah, what, what you listeners can't see is that Tom's hands have gotten involved in a <laughs> yes. big way. And, and, oh, absolutely, I mean I, I mean, one point which I'm also always making to people who have to work from home or are working on, a, on some kind of video conference, is you pop your elbows on the table because it means that your hands are more likely to be seen and they're more likely to be doing some communicating work. And it's quite it's striking if you look at uh, professional presenters who have been doing this for years they just have that question what ask next time you see John Simpson okay or next time you see Emma um, Emily Maitlis ask yourself what's she doing with her hands and you'll notice she doesn't seem to be thinking about it at all but
1: they're both actually they're, they're physically committed to what they're trying to say to you William Hartnell the first actor to play Doctor Who had this theory that the uh the television was all about the face which is a pretty good one and there were lots of close-ups so he got into the habit playing the part of clutching his waistcoat and lapels yeah, sorry, which I meant can that, see that his, straight away my mind yeah, eye. his his hands were very near his face and then if he did do something expressive they would be certain to be caught in that very tight close-up yeah well he was a smart guy <laughs> and a brilliant
0: actor um one other thing which strikes me when, when you say that is that when we are together face to face not on camera tiny little signals are very very clear um uh, implicit signals keep the ball aloft as it bounces along in the conversation. Whereas I think on cameras, particularly as the images are often shrunk on a computer screen when we're doing uh, video work, uh, we need to make our implicit signals slightly more explicit. So it does, as you say, turning the volume up is a good way of putting it. Um, and it can feel, I think, when you first do it, oh God, this is slightly cheesy or am I overacting? I very, very rarely would I say it seems that way to the people yeah. at the other end. And in fact, it's sort of it's providing people with that, uh, that little the encouragement, I think, that people need the other end of the camera relationship. Because God knows it makes such a huge difference when you feel you're getting any kind of uh, feedback, like a, a nod or a smile or, uh, or people wanting to engage with you.
1: So do you think it's going to kind of habituate people more to being on camera, being on TV or part of a a filmed documentary, something which is going to happen to most people very rarely in their lives, if at all. But suddenly we've all got used to being on camera and seeing our own image staring back at us.
0: Oh, Not only that, people can simply make their own camera documentaries. I mean, I have a 12-year-old son, and he is really interested in YouTubers who aren't just playing computer games. They're sticking cameras in their own faces and throwing it in the top right corner so that you can see. And I think this is maybe something that's really important. The relationship between the game that's being played and the person who is playing it, how they're affected by the events that are happening. So you don't just see the choices within the game; you see the look on their face when three new aliens come around the corner and they <laughs> need to shoot them. Um, and 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 I think that 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 relationship is, I think, at the heart of any effective communication. I think you know, not just thinking about particular conversations, particular transactions. It's that, that kind of that very long. Relationships. sometimes it's about what people say to each other the stories they tell the way they listen sometimes it's about the presence they send each other or all the emails they send each other or the fact that they keep the promises they're making in commercial relationships i'll get <laughs> back to you by friday there it is on thursday night you know um so there's a, and i think that that if that element actually is at the heart of working on camera as well how can you generate a relationship uh between um the person speaking and not the camera, but the person who's on the other end of the camera, who is the viewer sitting on their sofa at home uh or sitting at a uh, at a swivel chair in their office. I think the um what's really interesting about professional television presenters, and they've been doing it for you know six, seventy, eight years, um, is that they make us feel like they know us. OK, so um, if you're Adrian Giles and uh, Christine, what's her name, Bleakley, sitting on The One Show, looking at a camera, uh, Christine will be talking and Adrian will be looking at her interested in what she has to say. And then he'll look at the camera because he's interested in how what she said affects you. And <laughs> which he can never know. Which he'll never know. But he's, but he, but he's interested in you. Or in, in, oh, yeah, what do you think of this? And then he looks back at her to see what she thinks of the feedback she was getting from people on this over, which he hasn't seen, which he hasn't heard. He's watching the conversation. And then he knows it's his bit. So he starts talking to the camera and she will do the same thing. Basically creating in a person at the other end, the feeling that they are welcome in the conversation even if all they're doing is watching and listening. That's the reason for two things in the work I'm doing with people when they're looking at the way they uh, communicate the conversations that they have when they're on a video conference. Number one is I think it is a, a very good idea to get familiar with pretending that the camera is a person and looking at it. Even if the person you're talking to is now in sort of the bottom left of your peripheral vision on your screen, that's where their face is projected. I think it can help to just every now and then at least, or a bit more often than feels instinctive, look at the camera and pretend it's them. And in fact, <laughs> I haven't brought them to the office, I've got a set of googly eyes, which I stick <laughs> on either side of people's cameras when they're struggling with uh, this, because it can sometimes help to have a, a face to look at, yeah, to favour. Yeah, that's great, that's a great trend. Um But I'd also say this, that's not necessarily the whole thing, because you're, when you're, if I'm making a TV broadcast from home, I do have to pretend that the millions of viewers are visible to me. But on a, a Zoom or a Microsoft Teams calls, I don't, they are visible to me very often, particularly if they've followed my cheerful instruction to turn their bloody cameras on at the beginning of the call, <laughs> which again, uh, assertively, but positively, make sure that people do that. Because I can see them and I can see feedback that they want to offer. Um, and so I'd say particularly in the one-on-one uh, being on camera interactions, I'd say, also pay attention to their feedback because they can see that even though you're not looking at the camera, they're not getting eye contact, so to speak um, from you on camera, they can see that what you're offering is paying attention to the feedback that they are giving you. Um, and so it's almost like we're kind of we're both looking in a mirror and having that camera that conversation back and forth and we're seeing each other's kind of reflection around the corner that sideways on look you sometimes get when you're in a particular uh, in a, a tailor's
1: showroom. Similarly, when somebody sticks a microphone in your face and says, well, whatever you say next is going to be recorded, mm. it does change the dynamic a little bit.
0: It does. Uh, this is, in these conversations we're having, this is uh, a subject that I'm thinking about all the time as a professional and uh, it matters to me. So I feel like I'm, on, I'm in my, my field of expertise. Uh, so I don't feel quite so sort of self-conscious as i would be normally but there is also a, a sense that this isn't going out live <laughs> um, i can speak we can talk about can we snip here can we snip there have you done live tv or live radio uh only as an interviewee usually mm. talking about community charity projects in Folkestone, where i live so i guess um the the, the stakes haven't felt tremendously high for me personally okay although i suppose i've been the kind of the spokesperson for the organisation that's been on uh, on radio local radio and also actually occasionally i've done sort of facebook live launch events <laughs> and uh, and that's that's very much kind of like you're you're a one man camera studio if you ever uh, listeners you should definitely try this uh, because it's uh, it's a very close simulation of what it's like being a TV presenter but without a huge crew around you yeah you're um, the crew yeah you you, uh, you 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 set the whole thing up and you can see the numbers of people that are logging on oh I've got an audience of 45 people <laughs> <laughs> or got, and then you can you can call out for feedback and people can send you smiley faces so if you're feeling totally lonely uh, <laughs> when you're uh, when you're broadcasting it but that yeah that feedback element I think is really important so if you find yourself doing any any of those things alone make sure that you explicitly request people to, to wave and smile and send messages back to you because uh, the encouragement um, uh, and the relationship is what is going to make the message
1: authentic and positive and practically useful for everything reason you're sending it out. And this does bring us back to what's been a big theme of these podcasts which is I've got a message I want to communicate and I want to do that as authentically as possible But in order to achieve that aim, I may have to take a step back and think, what version of myself am I going to put on show right now? How do I want people to receive this? What behaviours can I adopt which are going to genuinely reflect what I think about this but are going to be effective in transmitting that through this medium? How interesting. You're you're right. In fact, something's just occurred to me which I think is, is somewhat
0: different. Between the world we were used to, i.e. only a handful of people would appear on camera talking about sort of whatever matter it was, um, and now everybody's doing it mm. because we're all doing it from it's home. It's become democratized. Yeah. It is that there was a huge amount of trouble taken in the way people would present themselves. They would, like, have you ever put makeup on, Tom, for, uh, for an appearance on camera? Uh, once or twice. Yeah. But not, 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 not not lately. But not yourself at home. Right? No. This is it. So basically, it comes in the professional world in which, in which there has been a culture of everybody is dressed right and, and, and somebody else is making sure you look right. There's kind of all the continuity that happens on a film set or uh, you know, in a studio. You, uh, your hair is like they're just adjusting it to make sure it looks just like the last shot. There's a huge amount of trouble taken to maintain a particular consistency. And, of course, that's kind of gone. I mean, the, the beards and the pyjama tops – that people would wear uh, <laughs> particularly during the quarantine period in 2020 and but some of that relaxation is is still there as a kind of legacy
1: of that period but there was an emphasis particularly with kind of the the youtubers and the streamers in Uh, lighting Mm, and sort of set design making sure that you had something interesting in your background but also that you could be clearly seen and we all remember the first few months of the pandemic when we were interacting with people looking up their noses or with them in front of windows so again they just become silhouettes and you see that much less these days it hasn't gone away there's Mm. still some people who've not quite either got the hang of that or just it's never occurred to them that yes you need to be your own lighting designer your own camera operator yes. your own set designer i and noticed those things do make a difference?
0: Yes, they do. I, I, I've noticed that one of the, the new options that MS Teams is offering people, if you've not tried this, do, is uh, is different presentation modes than the screen share clunkiness, which we've all got very used to, but which are, is, is definitely suboptimal. And they offer something called journalist mode, which basically pops your green screened um, head and shoulders against a sort of virtual television studio with a screen with your slides in the background. So it's trying to simulate that kind of the professional feel that we get when we watch the news at 10 um, uh, or sort of journalism circumstances. And it doesn't surprise me that we're trying to map onto something that we're familiar with and trust, uh, at least in terms of the professionalism with which they're speaking, even if we don't necessarily agree with all the messages. Um, if you have any experiences about uh, about appearing on camera that you'd like us to uh,
1: tackle, please get in touch with us. I'm on alex at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen dot com, and I'm Tom at the hyphen spontaneity dot com, or I'm at Tom Salinsky on Twitter.
0: Uh, we do face to face training, but we also do work uh, on camera, and uh, we're and many organisations uh, are still very much struggling with this and want help with it. So please get in touch, and we can do a day of one on one coaching sessions with individuals um, and we also do group sessions teaching people how to facilitate um, with a camera um, in uh, using uh, video conferencing technologies um, and we'd love to tackle any challenges you throw our way. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye for now. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Solinsky. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Solinski. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast.